0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy, And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I know we've been talking a lot about Europe recently, the bourbon family, and all of that, but we're going to venture to the New World today and talk a little bit about the conquistadors. And something funny I've noticed in a lot of our New World episodes, but the settlers and the conquerors are always completely focused on one thing. And unfortunately for them, that's not like how to get food, how to farm (laughs) correctly in an entirely different environment. It's always, always gold, even when they're in a place where there is definitely no gold as we know
1: now. Yeah, we know that now, but at the time it was kind of no wonder that they were so interested in it. For example, the myth of El Dorado had spread like wildfire from the conquistadors and onward. Here's one account, and I found this one in David
0: Grand's The Lost City of Z, which is a pretty interesting book about El Dorado in general, and one man's quest for it. And this quote is from a 16th century historian named Gonzalo Fernandez de Oviedo. And you're going to notice pretty soon that El Dorado starts off not as a city, but as a man. Here it goes. The great Lord goes about continually covered in gold dust, as fine as ground salt. He feels that it would be less beautiful to wear any other ornament. It would be crude and common to put on armor plates and of hammered or stamped gold, for other rich lords wear those when they wish. But to powder oneself with gold is something exotic, unusual, novel, and more costly. For he washes away at night what he puts on each morning, so that it is discarded and lost, and he does this
1: every day of the year. So much gold that you can wash it off in a day. That's pretty. Sounds promising if you're a conquistador. So
0: pretty soon, the man, this king who covers himself in gold dust, comes to mean a kingdom, El Dorado, a whole city of gold. And as the Indians tell the story to the Spaniards, it goes, you know, the rumor starts to spread. And pretty soon, the conquistadors are off looking for this
1: El Dorado, determined to find it. Right. So the first expedition to actually find the city of gold happens in 1541. It's led by a guy named Gonzalo Pizarro, who is the half-brother to Francisco Pizarro. And Francisco Pizarro was the famous founder of Lima and murder of the last independent Incan emperor.
0: Yeah. And so Gonzalo Pizarro had heard about El Dorado. He'd heard enough about the city from other Spaniards and from old Indian chiefs. And he thought that... It might be worth his time and his investment of money to go off looking for it. So he sunk his entire fortune into funding this mission.
1: I know his entourage is pretty intense when you, when you check it out. It was 200 soldiers on horseback as knights. And I think they even wore iron hats. Iron hats. I mean armor in the Amazon. (laughs) In the middle of the Amazon. Gonna come back to get them. They also had 4,000 enslaved Indians along for the ride llama-pulled carts filled with 2,000 pigs and 2,000 hunting dogs. And
0: they headed east over the Andes. I know it's it's probably it seems like they'd be going the other way, but imagine them heading east over the Andes, and uh, that's when trouble really starts to happen. A lot of the Indians start to die of cold while they're crossing the mountains because they're just wearing like a fur. They don't have all the armor on, um, but Once they're down into the jungle, it's the Spanish men who start to suffer because they are encased in these iron suits and they're absolutely miserable in the heat with all the insects.
1: Yep. And the Indians they met along the way were tortured for info on the city that they actually knew nothing about. So even people who weren't part of their journey were suffering, too.
0: Yeah, you can imagine this Spanish dude comes up to you and asks where El Dorado is and probably don't even really understand him. You've never heard of El Dorado. So it's a very bloody scene. And um, eventually, the party starts to die. I mean, it's in larger, larger numbers because they're starving. And um, over time, most of the Indians die, the animals die of the heat, and finally even most of the dogs have been eaten. So to survive, Pizarro decides the only way to get through is to split up the party send half of the group down the river to hopefully try to find food. And while Pizarro's group eventually retreats over the Andes and comes back with only 80 men, I mean, think of how many they left with. The other group sort of has the
1: more adventurous, yet equally harrowing time. Definitely. The guy who's in charge of the second group is Pizarro's number two, Francisco de Orellana, And he takes 57 men and two slaves downriver to find food. And they don't know what they're going to find out there, basically. So just an example of some of the things they ran into, they happened to have Dominican friar Gaspar de Carbajal along for the ride, and he kept a diary of things that went on during their journey, and he described the men mad with hunger. He says that they were actually so hungry that they were reduced to eating their shoes and belts, which he said were, quote, cooked with certain herbs. Which for
0: some reason that makes it sound just doubly worse
1: to me. I know. That you're trying, you know, like trying to make it real food. You can with almost these. see it softening belts animal I flesh i don't know it's
0: risky too to go pick random herbs out of the rainforest but you know the group decides to see what's going to happen they're they're clearly starving if they're reduced to eating their shoes and belts and their the point of their whole mission was to find food for the other guys and bring it back they know that's not going to happen they're not going to be able to make it back to the rest of the party so they decide let's go down the river or die trying. Just see what happens. See what happens. And so it's very tough going. There are Indian attacks. Uh, they describe what sounds like Amazon woman attacks. And then finally, on August 26, 1542, they shoot out into the Atlantic. So they're the first uh, European men to travel the length of the Amazon River. But still, even after all that way, the whole
1: Amazon, <laughs> no El Dorado, No, El Dorado. And that's what they wanted. And Oriana, he can't get his mind off of the place. Even when he's back in Spain, he's still thinking about it. And he decides to try to put together another little mission, spends all his money trying to put this together. Um, He has a ship. First, he's denied permission to sail. And then the ship, people on it get plague. They get sick and die. Finally, when they get there, they reach the mouth of the Amazon. More people die there. And finally, Oriana dies, presumably feeling rather defeated, you could imagine. I would imagine so. Um,
0: so, I mean, that sounds, that's our first trip down the Amazon and it's, um, the events that came immediately after it. And it sounds pretty bad already. It sounds like it can't get a whole lot worse, looking for El Dorado. But as bad as that 1541 expedition sounds, the truly notorious mission came two decades later in 1560. And the leader of that party, um, Pedro de Orsua, wasn't the issue with the mission, or at least it seems. He's described by historian Bart L. Lewis as a 35-year-old wunderkind, and writer Stephen Minta described him as a handsome and respected soldier, Um, but still a soldier who had some misjudgments, including bringing along his mistress on this trip to the Amazon. Um,
1: But the issue wasn't with him. It was with some of the men on the party. Right. So the men that he brought along with him were considered undesirables. So getting them away from settlements and into the rainforest was actually thought of as a pretty pretty good thing. And it was um, one option to kind of minimize, I guess, the risk they posed to those settlements. But one of the men who was on the expedition, one of those undesirable characters, was a guy named Lope de Aguirre. And uh, he sort of was the instigator. He's got quite the reputation. Maybe you've seen the Werner Herzog
0: movie about him. But he's, um, yeah, we'll find out soon. He's a pretty wild guy. So de Aguirre was actually a lot older than the leader of the party. He had been around the block a few times. He was... Pushing 50, we're not exactly sure when he was born, but he was definitely middle-aged during this expedition. And his pre-Peruvian life is extremely obscure. He was probably born 1510 to 1518 in Oñate, Spain, and he came to South America as a young man and then just went through a series of jobs. Duplina and I were laughing about <laughs> that some of these are considered jobs, but they include grave robbing and alderman and horse breaker. Uh, so he yeah, got, he got was, out of the grave robbing business early on, I guess. <laughs> Can you imagine
1: that job posting? <laughs> Wanted. Grave robber, eight dollars an hour.
0: Yeah, oh, well, that would be good money. Better than um, El Dorado hunting, it seems. Right. Um, but Aguirre didn't really like Spain. I mean, if he had come to the colonies with a love of Spain, he lost it pretty quickly. Um, he served with Gonzalo Pizarro, who was, you know, the earlier guy we mentioned. And when he wasn't rewarded for that service, he served in an uprising against him, and that was really just the beginning of trouble.
1: Right. He spent a lot of time fleeing from one part of South or Central America to another, and he was pretty much always in trouble that entire time. Uh, Just a few examples of things that he did. He broke a law against hiring Indian porters and was punished with 100 to 200 lashes and salt in the wounds, which sounds rather painful. He stabbed the magistrate who sentenced him in his temple and escaped the city of Cusco in disguise and he also fought with rebels, then against them, and he wounded his leg and hand. And finally, he had a daughter with an Indian woman, which was considered controversial at the time. So, I mean, the basic
0: situation here is that he needed a way to escape from his reputation, redeem his name if he could, um, or just go off the map. If, if he couldn't redeem his name, start something new away from uh, what he considered civilization. Uh, Folks in charge didn't mind this convenient way to get rid of kind of a troublesome guy. So on September 26, 1560, Aguirre joined the expedition and uh, went looking for El Dorado. And El Dorado was thought to be at the headwaters of the Amazon River. So that's where they were headed.
1: Yeah, the Amazon was kind of attractive to them now. And I guess they had sort of changed their mind about the exact location that I thought it was. But part of the way into the trip... Aguirre, he started an rebellion against Ursua, who he thought was too cautious. So in an Indian village, he had him hacked to death.
0: Yeah, that's... He's funny. pretty
1: serious about his uh, his rebellion. Any way of taking care <laughs> of things. So uh,
0: immediately after that murder, he swears allegiance to de Ursua's replacement, a man named Fernando de Guzman. And this is where things start to get a little weird. Um, less just killing one leader and installing a new one. He raises Guzman and the party as a whole raises Guzman to king. So he's not just the leader of the party. They're swearing allegiance to him as king. Forget the king of Spain. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is their first act of uh, disobedience to the crown.
1: But this guy, Guzman, doesn't really suit Aguirre either, and he's murdered too. As Aguirre later writes in a letter to the King of Spain about the murder of de Guzman, he, he says this. They appointed me their field commander, and because I did not consent to their insults and evil deeds, they tried to kill me. And I killed the new king, the captain of his guard, the lieutenant general, his majordomo, his chaplain, a woman in league against me, a knight of roads, an admiral, two ensigns, and six other of his allies. It was my intention to carry this war through and die in it, for the cruelties your ministers practiced on us, and I again appointed captains and a sergeant major. They tried to kill me, and I hung them all.
0: That really gives you the gist of Aguirre's Decision-making process. Yeah, for, he
1: does not mess around. No, he
0: doesn't. Anybody who opposes him might as well be dead. Um, so he himself is the new head of the Party of Men, and he supposedly said that, quote, I am the wrath of God, the prince of freedom, lord of the Tierra Firma, and the provinces
1: of Chile. And from there, he sailed down the Amazon, or perhaps the Orinoco River, we're not sure, and kept killing, massacring, pretty much... All, a lot of people that he met along the way, and 39 people in his own party, too. A witness in the party later wrote that Aguirre was so sure that his soul could not be saved that he might as well commit acts of cruelty and wickedness by which the name of Aguirre would ring throughout the earth, even to the ninth heaven. So he figured, I'm not going to heaven anyway, so I might as well just be as bad as I want to be. Yeah, and... The reputation
0: spreads and by 1561 when he takes the island of Margarita off of what is now the Venezuelan coast and displaces a bunch of Spanish settlers, he's notorious. Um, the Spanish armies know who he is and they're out to get him. Taking the island definitely means war. Um, but when he learned that the king's armies in Venezuela and New Granada were after him, he writes off this letter to Philip II. And uh, you can find the whole letter online. It's pretty interesting. But it's a mixture of very rational complaints and just complete insanity. Like, it sounds like, a Aguirre out in the rainforest who's gone off his rocker.
1: But luckily through a letter and not in person. Luckily for the king, anyway. Luckily for the king.
0: He's mostly criticizing the king for spending so much of the money brought home by the conquistadors from the New World on these German wars and not leaving enough for the men when they're old. Um, But the most famous part of the letter, even though it's coming from a man who has clearly gone crazy, seems like Actually, it's pretty good advice for future El Dorado missions. He writes, I advise you, King and Lord, not to attempt nor allow a fleet to be sent to this ill-fated river, because in Christian faith, I swear, King and Lord, that if a 100,000 men come, none will escape, because the stories are false, and in this river
1: there is nothing but despair. So finally, the king's armies do catch up with him. And they capture him after he crosses back to the mainland, but not before he has a chance to murder his own daughter. So no mercy even for his kin. And he is beheaded on October 27th, 1561, and his body parts are sent throughout the realm and his head displayed in a cage. As a
0: warning to other traitors. Yeah, well. We keep on having these (laughs) these heads heads, pop up. Heads, yes. It's kind of become a new sub theme, I think, of exhumation on this. Um, But according to Encyclopedia Britannica, Aguirre's name is, quote, practically synonymous with cruelty and treachery in colonial Spanish America. Um, Yet, I think it's so interesting, despite this terrible example of this man losing it and becoming so power hungry and depraved that he kills his daughter, he kills all these men in his own party, he kills all the settlers he's coming across, all the Indians he's coming across, that people still go out looking for El Dorado. Nobody can give up that myth. And it's interesting, the the book I mentioned earlier, The Lost City of Z, is dealing with um, uh, uh, hunts for for El Dorado that go into the 20th century.
1: I mean, people just, they can't let it go. Gold is a pretty attractive... Win. Pretty attractive treasure if you can find it. I think that's about all for today. But if you want to learn a little bit more about conquistadors and the Incan Empire, we have an article called How Did 168 Conquistadors Take Down the Incan Empire? And you can find that by visiting our homepage and entering in Incan Empire at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.